0: Morning, church. Book of Jonah. Here we go. When I mention that name Jonah, what comes to your mind? Let's go ahead and shout it out. A whale. A whale. Okay. Escape. Rebellion, escape. Veggie tales. Veggie tales. We should look that one up. That would be really cute to show. Good. What else? Running away. Good. Didn't learn his lesson. Good. Good. God's grace grace in and through that book. Yeah. Well, Jonah's perhaps the the greatest fishing story ever told. Anyone who has ever put a worm on a hook or a lure on a line has a story to tell about the big one that got away. Nobody actually saw, but Guy Yoakum's got pictures to prove it. So we go back to September 2012, he landed one of the pound-for-pound hardest fighting fish in the world on the entire planet. Take a look at this monster, 427-pound yellowfin tuna that guy landed, and he's got pictures to prove it. Rather large fish, huh? But the book of Jonah is far more than a story about large fish, isn't it? We'll discover that over these next weeks. It's packed with truth to transform our lives if we will allow God's word to penetrate into our hearts. I'm excited about the journey that he's going to take us on over these next few weeks. So this morning, I'd like to begin with a brief overview of the book of Jonah. And following that, we're going to be looking at one chapter per week. Okay, So that's kind of the way this thing lays out. And as we do that, we're going to listen for God speaking through His Word to us today, right now, right here. So, uh, you ready to get started? You don't have sermon notes, but in my Bible, I've got lots of notes about Jonah scratched in the margin. For those of you that uh, are, are a little more on the study, let's dig in deeper. You're going to love this. Uh, today because we're going to do an overview we're going to look at some of the facts that we know about Jonah uh, the who, the what, the where, the when Kind of questions. I think it's very important in order to understand any piece of scripture that we put it in its context. Where does it fit in the totality of scripture? Why was the book written? Where was it written from? What was happening there? If we don't do the hard work of understanding these basic things, we can't take the application and take that step to application too quickly. So, today, for you meat-eaters, you're going to love this. The rest of you just kind of bear along because we'll get back to a little more preaching rather than teaching next week. But here we go. Who? Who wrote the book? That's a good question. It's a question that's been debated for centuries. Who wrote the book of Jonah? Most of us would just assume Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. Now, it's not quite that simple. Um, And some would say, why is it written in the third person? If if Jonah actually wrote the book of Jonah, well, that's a very common Hebrew way of writing, so that's not much of an argument, but the book never specifically identifies its author. Jonah never said he wrote the book of Jonah, but tradition and me believe and say it is in fact Jonah the son of Amittai. Now many have wondered where the book of Jonah is historical. Many question that if you look at the book. Some would say it's not historical, it's hysterical. You've got to be kidding. There's got to be some kind of superhuman element, a superhero story. This guy living in the belly of a great fish for three days. Right, right. It's more like Paul Bunyan than a prophet of God, Right. Uh, Where did this story come from? You believe this stuff? Really? Hmm, okay. So skeptical scholars say uh, it's really uh, more of a fictional uh, short story. Uh, That's what it is, or a spiritual allegory, or a parable, but everything came from the author's imagination. He just uh, had this thing in his head, and he wrote it down, and we take it as scripture. Hmm. But having studied this authorship debate uh, for decades, I've concluded that the book of Jonah is really an account of a real guy, uh, a real prophet, who had a real ministry, and his name was Jonah. But who is this guy, Jonah, anyway? If we look into Scripture, we're going to find some interesting things about Jonah. He's not this uh, spiritual superstar we might think he is. In fact, quite the opposite. If we look at his character, he's more like me than he is like Jesus in a whole lot of ways. Why? Here's some description. He is proud. He is prejudiced. He is pig-headed. He is stubborn. He is disobedient. He is unfaithful. He's a grumbler. He's a complainer. He was mean-spirited. He's bad-tempered. He's a cantankerous old grump is what he is, as we'll look at this man of God called Jonah. And God, with his typical sense of humor, gives him the name Jonah. The name Jonah means dove. He was anything but a dove, right? He is an old grump. That's what he is. And from beginning to end of the story, we're going to discover who this guy really is what's really going on inside of our prophet named jonah now according to scripture jonah was the son of amittai and came from gath heifer about four miles northeast of present day nazareth we learn this from the book of second kings jonah son of amittai the prophet from gath heifer so that kind of wraps up the who i believe that jonah wrote the book of jonah okay let's get going what what's this story about well Jonah's story is told in four short but very powerful chapters. The whole book is only 48 verses long. It's a pretty easy read. It's the fifth book of the twelve prophets in the book of the twelve prophets. What's the book of the twelve prophets? Well, originally it's on one parchment in Hebrew. They bring out the one scroll and it's one of the 24 books that make up the Hebrew Bible called the Tanakh. 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 Love Hebrew, right? So these 12 prophets are simply called... Oh, let me ask you, why are they called minor prophets? Small books, books, right. The the writing is quite short. And so uh, we have the book of the 12. And included in there are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Zechariah, Malachi, right? The 12 minor prophets. The book of the 12 follows the writings of the major prophets, who are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. That's why it is in the Bible where it is. So he's one of the 12 of what we would call the minor prophets, so noted because their writings are brief as opposed to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, who have longer books. Everyone with me so far? Okay, good. Now, the book of Jonah differs from the writings of every other Old Testament prophet in several ways, several key ways. Uh, One of them is the story of a single prophet on a single mission. No other book in the Bible is like this. In other words, it's the only book that focuses on the prophet rather than the prophecy. This is a story of Jonah's interaction with God, not so much the prophecy that he's about to make. So it differs from every other Old Testament book in that sense. Now, Jonah was one of the earliest of the prophets that we know of, the successor of Elisha and Elijah, both of them, and contemporaries of Hosea, Amos, and Isaiah. So that's kind of the background. When? When did this all happen? It's very likely that Jonah was trained in the school of the prophets. He was a spokesman for God to the ten northern tribes. What are the ten northern tribes called? Israel. What are the two southern tribes called? Judah. Correct. Benjamin and Judah make up those two. And he wrote during the reign of Jeroboam II which is about 793 to 753 B.C. What does B.C. mean? Before Christ. Good. Now, even though Jeroboam was an evil king, under his leadership, the borders of Israel expanded to the greatest extent that they ever reached since the time of Solomon 200 years before. Kind of weird, isn't it? you got a bad king, but he brings prosperity to Israel. Keep that in mind, because that's going to play out a little bit later. Now, increased prosperity means a materialistic, greedy culture that exploited the poor and the oppressed. Huh, what does that sound like? Well, this was a key message addressed by Amos, who was Jonah's prophetic crony. Even though there was outward abundance then in the ten northern tribes of Israel, inwardly there was spiritual apathy and apostasy, because isn't that the way God works? Once he blesses a country, pretty soon they turn around and they forget about God. That's the message of Hosea, right? Right. There was no sense of urgency to take God's message, this incredible message of salvation to the world. That's why he gave the good news as God's chosen people Israel so they would turn right around and take it to everybody else. They weren't doing that. People worshiped other gods like Baal. Wow, right here. God's blessing in they're turning their back on him. Mm. There was a whole lot of national pride in thinking that they were the spiritual elite. We are God's chosen people. God's blessed our nation. Look at us. Aren't we special? Aren't we great? God's blessing is here and we're better than you are. Mm, That's going to play out in Jonah's mind. Jonah himself is this narrow-minded patriot. I am God's chosen. I am better than you. Uh Uh-oh. He was willing to go to his own people but refused to cross any border to take this good news to anybody else. Hmm. He was afraid that places like Assyria would destroy his nation. And so his message was one of condemnation and judgment, not mercy and hope for those folk who were not like him. Ah. Where? Where is this all going down? Well, Rather than direct Jonah prophesy to his own people, God sends him where? Nineveh. To Assyria, that's right. So, Assyria, its capital Nineveh. In 9th century BC, Assyrian armies began to march across their own borders to expand their empire. Now, countries that opposed Assyria were in trouble. The Assyrians would come in. Uh, they would be punished then, their enemies, by the destruction of their cities and the devastation of their fields. They would wipe them out. And so what they did is they began to conquer the nations right around them, and they would plunder those nations to fuel their military machine. And on and on they went. Now, 200 years later, the Assyrians are parked right next to Israel. They're now a direct threat to God's people. This is where Jonah comes in. Okay, So the capital of Nineveh is one of the oldest cities in recorded history, dating back to just after the flood of Genesis 6. It's located about 200 miles north of present-day Baghdad in Iraq. We weren't too far from that, were we, Bill? Greater Nineveh is estimated to have been about 60 miles. Now picture this, 60 miles in circumference. So it was a kind of a sprawling city, population of one to one and a half million. So it's the size of Phoenix, or it's the size of Philadelphia, or about three times the size of Milwaukee. Put that in perspective. Now according to Greek historian Diodorus of Sicily, the wall around the city was 100 feet high. So picture 60 miles in circumference, a wall 100 feet high all the way around, thick enough that three chariots could run around the top of the wall side by side. So a massive wall. Now on top of that, there were 1,500 towers over the 60 miles. Each tower was 200 feet high. So it's an impressive, impressive place for sure. Now, it had a history of being a cruel, wicked, and violent place filled with false gods, including the national god Asher, from which we get our word Assyria. That's the name Assyrians. And the capital then of Assyria was Nineveh. And right from the start, Assyria was bent on one thing, military conquest. We're going to wipe you out. We're stronger than you are, our army's better trained than you are, we're gonna steamroll your country. You better surrender. You better surrender. And if you don't, you're in trouble. And so history on monoliths and other places have a very definitive archaeological record of what the Assyrians did to their enemies. And it is not a pretty sight. Not at all. History records the Assyrian atrocities. Prisoners had rings put through their noses and through their lips. They weren't piercing them either. Sometimes their hands, their feet, their noses and ears were cut off. They were blinded and they had the tongues ripped out of their mouth. Okay, this is one way to subdue your enemies. Politically correct? I don't think so. Public enemies of Assyria were often flayed. What does it mean to be flayed? Anybody know what that term means? Skinned alive. That is correct. They had developed a procedure in which they could keep a human being alive and take the skin off of them They peeled the skin off of them and then they would set them on fire Now you talk about ultimate torture. We can put the crucifixion next to that This is coming real close to crucifying someone. This is the way they handle their public enemies flay them all right, I don't want to sugarcoat this thing. Flay them, then set them on fire. You think that'd get your attention? You think you'd disobey the government? Ah! And you know what they did with the skins of the people? Next country up, they would tack them to the outer walls of the city to show them, you stand against us. This is what's going to happen to you. And so they would take that piece of skin, they had just peeled off those people, and they made sure you're going to pay your tribute or your taxes, or you're going to do whatever we say, otherwise you're going to look just like that guy. Ah, okay, so what's happening here? No wonder Jonah hated the Assyrians. We say, oh, Jonah went and ran away from God. Put it in this historical context. What if that group of people called the assyrians was knocking it was at the canadian border they're flaying people right and doing that and god tells you i want you to head north to canada i want you to tell them about my great love right and i want them to repent and then you can worship together in church with these people won't this be fun right jonah hated the assyrians he was absolutely terrified of what might happen to him and to his people. It's no wonder he ran away when God says, go to Nineveh and preach the good news there, man of God. <laughs> oh, More about that next week. Just want to put it in its right context for you. Okay, So we're understanding some things here. It's very intriguing to me. What happened in 722 to the northern kingdom, the ten tribes? They were conquered by the Assyrians. And don't think for a moment that those who think they're a spiritual elite in God's chosen people are immune God allowed the Assyrians to conquer his chosen people because of the rebellion against him. And God will not be mocked. Not in 700 B.C. or in 2017 A.D. He will be God. And I don't much you, but man, this week, Those Las Vegas shootings just kicked the legs right out from under me. And I hope we're not becoming so insulated and isolated that these things desensitize us to what's happening around us. And my first response was, I hated that guy. Hate that guy, that shooter. That's pure evil. But then God began to speak to my heart. What are we doing? What am I doing? What difference am I making to love people and do what I can do and control what God wants me to do and not worry about those kinds of things? Yes, pray, certainly. But there's a lot at stake here, isn't there? And I think in these days, God's going to ask us to do some stuff with some people that we probably don't even like. Or maybe even hate. Because he wants to show who he is and that he loves all people everywhere. Hmm. Anyway, that's enough of that. I'll start preaching. Ah, any questions you have so far about the historical context and the situation that's happening in the life of Jonah, in the times of Jonah? Questions, comments? Anything I can help clarify? Yes. One question. Yes. You mentioned that his message was one of condemnation. Mm-hmm. But then you also okay. So his message was one of condemnation, but he was sent as a messenger of God, not to speak condemnation necessarily, but to speak love. Yes. Is that correct. Yes, and, and there's the etern- internal conflict in Jonah. Yeah, can you, can you imagine being Jonah in that situation, the man of God, trained? And the prophet's message was often harsh, was it not? Turn to God or face the consequences. And he's supposed to go to Nineveh and preach love and hope in a right relationship with the true God? Repentance? Really? Really, God? Good. Good insight. Okay, any other questions or comments? All right, if you got them, jot them down, send them to me. We'll try to take them as we go, chapter by chapter. I'm really pumped about next week. It's going to be good. Uh, Let's see your assignment. Read the book of Jonah, would you? I've been reading it continually. Just kind of... putting that thing down deep into my soul, right? It's a short read. It's a good read. Every time you look at the book, something else pops out. Like, wow, wow, yeah. So read the book, okay? Book of Jonah, that's your assignment. Over the next weeks, we'll check out some of the great themes of this book. Like, God's love never gives up on us, even when we run away from it or try to get away from it. It won't stop. God's help is just a prayer way, and I don't know where you are today. But whatever you're facing, God's help is just a prayer way. Jonah chapter 2 is going to teach us more about that. God's love is greater than our fears, greater than our pride, greater than our prejudices, greater than our storms. God's love is greater than all of that. We're going to see that very clearly. And God's love takes us beyond borders so that all might know him. It'll move us out from where we are to where we need to be. That's what his love will do for us. Now, John Carpenter, who was up earlier, has gone beyond borders so that others might know Jesus. Is that right, John? Come on up, tell us a little bit more.